Hello everybody and welcome into episode number 229 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading 1 Corinthians chapter 14 today and our focus is on how you can know your spiritual gifts. So we got a lot to cover today. Let me just point you to our website, Bible2021.com. You can subscribe to the show there and every episode, including this one, has a transcript. And this one in particular might be helpful for you to read the transcript because uh, we're going to talk about a method to know your spiritual gifts and it might be good to listen to it and to read it. So check out our website, Bible2021.com. Now, if you're a Christian and you don't know what your primary spiritual gift is, then don't be alarmed by this. You are most certainly not alone. I have been in ministry for around 25 years now and have served as a senior pastor for almost 15 years. And a few years ago, when I surveyed the church I was pastoring and some of my closest friends about what they thought my primary spiritual gift was, I got at least nine different answers out of roughly, I don't know, 20, 25 people. Of those two dozen or so, only a few mentioned pastoring or shepherding is my primary spiritual gift. Most of them said teaching or leading or something like that. And look, that's not particularly disconcerting to me because even though I have the role of senior pastor of a church on paper, uh, and even though I spend a good amount of my time day in and day out pastoring, I actually don't believe that pastoring and shepherding is my primary spiritual gift. I do think it's something like teaching or leading. But the fact of the matter is, whether you know your gift or not, God can and will use you to edify and build up his church, his people, even if you don't know what your gift is. And here's the thing, we don't have a command in scripture that tells us to know your spiritual gift, and we don't have a method in scripture that tells us how to know what our spiritual gift is. But if you would like to know what your spiritual gift is, and I think that's a good desire, it's not a bad one, certainly, I developed a guide a few years ago that might be helpful. I'm not saying it's guaranteed, but I think it's a scriptural way to know what your spiritual gift is working in community with the believers around you. It has seven steps, and those seven steps spell out the word discover. Here it is. Step one, desire intensely. Step two, study the word. Step three, consider a spiritual gifts test. Step four, observe needs and offer to serve. Step five, verify giftedness. Step six, evaluate fruitfulness. Step seven, repeat. And again, that spells out the acronym DISCOVER. So let's go through those steps. These are This is a way, a guide to help you find out what your spiritual gift is. Step number one is to desire intensely. Now that's the word that covers the letters D and the letter I, cheating a little bit for my acronym there, but it's important. We're told in Scripture that we should intensely desire spiritual gifts for yourself and for your fellow Christians that you're in relationship with. At least three times in Scripture, the Apostle Paul tells Christians to desire, pursue, and be eager to have various spiritual gifts, especially the greater ones. And the Greek word he uses is the Greek word zelote, which is the word that we get our English word zeal or zealous from. It means an intense longing for something even to covet it. And it's right and biblical to have a deep, intense desire to know and use your spiritual gift. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, but desire the greater gifts. And in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, he says, 
Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So that's step one, desire intensely. Step two, study the word. Remember that God's word is living and active and that the Bible is a supernatural book. Remember also that one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to lead us into all truth. And as we study the Bible passages on the spiritual gifts, I believe and trust that God will unlock insight, understanding, and knowledge and lead you to truth through his living word. Now, I'm going to list out some excellent passages for you uh, to study spiritual gifts and to kind of begin your study. And again, you can come to our website to read these, Bible2021.com. These aren't all of the passages in the Bible on spiritual gifts, but these are maybe the deepest and the longest teaching. So first one, 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. We've just read those last few days. Then Romans 12, 3 through 8. Next, 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. Next, Ephesians chapter 4, 4 through 16. And then Romans 1, 11 through 12. And again, you don't have to write all those down. Just come check out the show notes for episode 229 on Bible2021.com. So the first step, desire intensely. Second step, study the word. Third step, consider a spiritual gifts test. For a lot of Christians that are interested in finding out their spiritual gift, the first place they start is by taking some sort of spiritual gifts test or inventory. Call me crazy, but I don't believe that a test taken and graded by an individual who's taking that test is the best place to start when trying to figure out what your spiritual gift is. Now, we're not going to start with this step because we are biased. If you or I fill out a spiritual gift test, we might fill it out based on what we wish to do or be, or how we wish to be gifted, rather than based on how God has actually gifted us. So the step is consider taking a test, but not do it for sure. And it's not so much a necessary step, and you should take the results with a grain of salt. Again, you could be biased, but I will say most of these tests are helpful, and there is a really good test out there that's free that I don't even think you have to put your email in for. I've got it linked in the show notes today at Bible2021.com, but you can find it at the website buildingchurch.net. And I'll give you a caution that comes from Christian counselor Ed Welsh about uh spiritual gift tests. He says, as a counselor, I've spoken with many people who want to know their spiritual gifts, and they come hoping for some sort of diagnostic test that will precisely locate them. And my impression, says Welch, is that this perspective represents a breakdown in the church. It reflects a church where we're running around as self-actualizing individuals rather than uniting as a God-glorifying community. And I think what Dr. Welch means by that is the best way to discover what your spiritual gifts is not by taking an online test. It's not a bad idea. It's just not the best way. The best way is in community with other believers, which brings us to step number four, observe community needs and offer to serve it in an area of need. Both of those start with the letter O. As Paul notes in 1 Corinthians 12, 18, God has ordered the body of Christ in a orderly way, in the way he wants it to be ordered. And that and that means he sovereignly guided you to your current church, fellowship, small group, family, etc. And as Peter notes in 1 Peter 4, 10, you have a spiritual gift that is designed to be used to help other Christians. That's a command. Putting those two facts together leads us to conclude that who wherever you are, in whomever you are, 
God has placed you with your specific gifting in a place that needs your service. In other words, you have a gifting that is designed to be used in an area of need in your church, small group, job, or family. Look for it and ask for God to lead you to it. And as we'll see in a minute, talk to your friends and family about it. And I do want to note something here. Things like toilet cleaning, trash picking up, nursery service, and lots of other seemingly menial areas of service do not necessarily have a spiritual gift directly associated with them, uh, with the possible exception of the gift of service itself. But please don't ever beg out of lowly tasks by saying that you aren't gifted to do them. None of us are exactly gifted to clean toilets or keep nursery or change diapers or pick up trash, but we do serve a master, Jesus, who tells us that the key to greatness is not to be served, but to serve. So never consider a task in the church too beneath you because it's not. Fifth, verify, that's the letter V, giftedness with family and friends. So after testing the water, so to speak, and serving in an area or two in your church or small group of need, ask some follow-up questions of your spouse, your friends, and trusted church leaders. Here's some questions that you might think about asking. Where do you think I'm gifted? Or what are the needs of the church that are currently going unmet? Is there a place where I could serve fruitfully? Or am I being fruitful where I'm serving right now? Also, consider, like, if you have a spouse or a best friend or somebody that knows you really, really, really well, consider having them take a spiritual gifts test on your behalf. And then compare notes. They might see some things that you are missing and they might not be as biased as you are. Of course, they could be more biased than you are. You never know, but it's worth a try. Finally, consider asking mature Christians and spiritual leaders that you know well what areas they might believe that you are gifted to serve in. Number six, evaluate fruitfulness. This step is very similar to step number five and can be done together at the same time with step number five. If you're gifted in a particular area, then there should be obvious fruit that comes from your endeavors in that area. Failure to be fruitful in a particular calling or area of service, especially in the short term, though, does not necessarily mean that you aren't gifted in that area. For instance, one of my heroes is a man named Adoniram Judson. He was a missionary, one of the first missionaries to... um Asia, a country called Burma, he labored there for six years before he saw his first convert. Can you imagine six years as a missionary before you see somebody turning to Jesus? And the thing about it is, is Judson was a tremendously gifted missionary and evangelist, and God often leads his people through the testing grounds of failure and pruning so that they will be even more fruitful, we see in John 15. That said, Serving for a significant amount of time in an area without noticeable joy or fruit or impact might be a signal that you are not currently serving in an area of giftedness. Finally, step number seven, repeat. These seven steps should be part of an ongoing process. Since God's word tells us to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, I believe it's possible that spiritual gifts might not be delivered or discovered by believers in full on their first few weeks after salvation, but they could be distributed by the Holy Spirit over time and according to need, or we could become aware of them much later as we mature. I suspect that the Spirit will, uh, as we serve, as we grow up, as we age, the Spirit will lead us to unperceived areas of fruitfulness. Therefore, keep desiring intensely 
to know your spiritual gift and to walk in a spiritual gift. Keep studying God's word. Keep considering spiritual gifts tests and offering to serve in areas of need in your church or small group. Keep verifying giftedness and evaluating fruitfulness both on your own and with people in your community. And do all of this in the knowledge that you are led by a Holy Spirit that causes all things to work together for good for those who know God and are called according to his purpose. So one more time, those seven steps to learning what your spiritual gift is. Number one, desire intensely a spiritual gift. Number two, study God's word on spiritual gifts. Number three, consider a spiritual gifts test. Number four, observe needs in your church and offer to serve in those needs, areas of need. Number five, verify giftedness with friends and trusted leaders. Number six, evaluate fruitfulness. See how you are doing in a particular area. Number seven, repeat that process in an ongoing way. Well, let's read our chapter. It is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people, but to God, since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if the bugle makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world. None is without meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the person who speaks in a tongue should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with the Spirit, and I will also sing praise with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise with the Spirit, how will the outsider say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you may well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding in uh, in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. It is written in the law, I will speak to this people by people of other tongues and by the lips of foreigners, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Speaking in tongues then is intended as a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in tongues and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he's convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming, 
God is really among you. What then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, there are to be only two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace." As in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves, as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or, did the word of God originate from you, or did it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignores this, he will be ignored." So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything is to be done decently and in order. Amen. Well, let's close with our Bible memory verses for the month of August. 1 Corinthians thirteen four through 6 Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Amen. Well, friends, I know we ran a little bit late today. Maybe we'll make up for that in the next few days. As it is, good day to you. May the Holy Spirit lead you as you discover your spiritual gift and Godspeed.